0: And we are alive.
1: Is this uh, episode 35? Yeah. Oh my God. I, I've never done 35 of anything.
0: Really? You ever done 35 push-ups?
1: Oh, oh, 35 push-ups. I usually cap out at 30, to be honest.
0: How many chips do you think are in a Pringle can?
1: How many chips are in a Pringle can? Ooh, that's a good one. Okay, I eat them in groups of three and you can do it like probably 25 times. I'm going to say 75. That's fair. When's the last time you had Pringles?
0: First year of university was sponsored by Pringles. (laughs) I would eat half a can of jalapeno Pringles every single night. Every single night? Every single night. And I was
1: 8,000 pounds. Even
0: before an exam? Especially before an exam, I would do two full cans of Pringles.
1: Oh my God. And you didn't get jalapeno toots?
0: I think my gut is still in recovery.
1: Imagine your proctor refused to continue because you couldn't stop farting. (laughs) Imagine anytime I have
0: a spicy fart, it's actually not what I had last night. It's like November 2009 dinner. (laughs) Four miles of Pringles in my intestines.
1: I thought you usually hide legal drugs at the end of your Pringle can and you only do it because you... Don't want to be conspicuous in front of your attending care workers.
0: That honestly might be the last can of Pringles I own.
1: Really? Yeah. Tony, that's really sad, especially considering your affinity for snack food.
0: Yeah, but I still love snack food. I've just kind of moved on to other... I don't have anything against Pringles, except this question for you. When you eat a Pringle, which way do you put it? Do you put it side down
1: I I like I put the curve like against my tongue.
0: Yeah, that's how you're supposed to do it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Why did you watch someone do it the wrong way? Fucking psycho. Yeah,
0: I have one friend who's a psychopath and puts it upside down.
1: Why are they your friend?
0: Well, we don't talk anymore after I found that out. <laughs> anyway, we have another crazy-filled episode. You had a wild week. Do you know what? Before we even talk about it, I just want to say. Throughout this week, I've realized I like inspiration porn.
1: Yeah, I got swept up in something that may be misconstrued as that, but I would argue that it wasn't.
0: I would argue that it wasn't too, but I would also argue that like, maybe inspiration porn, I don't know. I like inspiration, and when does inspiration become inspiration porn is a conversation we will have to get to the bottom of today.
1: Can I make my argument? Well, no, let's
0: first talk about what happened to you.
1: All right. So a couple of months ago when the third wave was sort of easing and it was becoming okay to hang out indoors with like five people or less or something like that, I finally had the opportunity to leave my garage, which I hadn't done for a social call uh, before that point for like literally eight months. Yeah. I was growing hair like Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty. I was like unshaven. I don't remember the last time I used a stick of deodorant because I just didn't care at some point. Like yeah. I was so starved of people attention. And it, basically the only thing sustaining me was our discussions. And I'm I'm not even really exaggerating, um, you know, because work meetings, they, they, like they don't really cut it. They, I just, you can't really say anything human in the middle of work jargon.
0: Oh yeah. It's, I find work meetings, it's you log into the call. Everyone talks about the weather for three minutes. Yep. And then you do the work that you've assigned to the call Yep, for, you know, 30 to 60 minutes, whatever it is. And then at the end of it, everyone who hasn't spoken for the duration of the meeting unmutes their microphone to say something so that they feel like they should be invited to the next meeting.
1: or Or to remind people that they were there yeah i find that the small talk is confined almost exclusively to banal home renovations and gardening and i like i respect that people garden don't get me wrong i know it's necessary in the present day to, to be literate in that sense and i also respect when people develop like uh the ability to maintain their living quarters because i really don't even have that i can hardly
0: put on deodorant
1: yeah, put on deodorant or hang a towel on a towel rack, you know. And so I respect all that type of bullshit, but I also, I also find it like empty of personality or character or like liveliness.
0: Yeah, for us it's even worse because you, at least all your coworkers, have a city that they live in in common, but my work is all remote, so we're all over the country and even North America. Yep. And so really, all we talk about is weather.
1: Because everyone has a different, like lives in a different biome or something. And then you get people who
0: live like like Ottawa and Toronto and you'll be like, hey, did you get that storm that we got?
1: Toronto's funny. They get like a a centimeter of precipitation or snow and they just like act like it's a fucking natural disaster.
0: Yeah. And they start filling their dump trucks.
1: Sorry. I have some residual like anti-Southern Ontario nonsense in my head from living in Thunder Bay for... So long recently.
0: Well, speaking of Thunder Bay, what happened to you?
1: So when I finally left my house for the first social call of the spring or summer, whatever it was, I actually went to the house of a very, very close friend of mine that I've known for almost 30 years. We've known each other since like uh, 1994, uh, first first grade in Catholic school. And he lived down the street from me. And I would always visit him like every weekend for the first 10 to 12 years of our lives. And then like into high school. And uh, he always like his like uh, family homes on a split level. So as a kid, when I go and see him, it wasn't that big a deal. You know what a split level is like you enter the side door of the house.
0: No, I think that's just a finger base thing.
1: Uh, uh, All I'm trying to say is that every time I go visit him, somebody would have to carry me up a flight of stairs.
0: Shout out to your friends for carrying up five stairs. Shout out to Fra- Frank, I do.
1: I mean, when we were like, you know, six and seven, it mostly was the responsibility of Joe Daniele or my dad, Jerry Mandick And um, <laughs> um, that got hard, like, you know, as I grew into being a teenager and whatnot. But I didn't necessarily become adept at like doing stairs manually until... You got that one put behind you yeah, now I have my little staircase here where I practice to go to Franco's parents' house. Anyway, I feel like I'm getting super off track. The point is that Franco is intimately familiar with how much of a pain of pain in the ass it is to get me anywhere. Um, and they never like, of course, made me feel guilty for it. Like I've always by the Danielli family been treated as well as any of Franco's other friends, uh, and I'm not doted upon or like you know, there's no special anything basically a very, very close friend. So I go over to his new house and Franco has spent the last two years building this place with his dad and his brother. He bought like a like a blueprint or a schematic for the house. He basically made all the major decisions around like raw materials and furniture and layout and everything. I don't know how to speak like home construction lingo. So if I sound like I'm full of shit, it's because... Yeah,
0: I gotta be honest. I didn't even know you could buy a blueprint.
1: <laughs> I'm trying to echo what he said on the, on the news, but I don't really fully remember because I was so stressed out at the time when he was relaying. You're just <laughs> like, don't shit myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Don't don't get the Pringle toots or whatever. Yeah. So so I um so he built this house, and the thing about Franco is that he uh, he lives large. He's always uh, had a a well-paying job and worked very very hard. He has a high degree. like of occupational discipline and anything that he's passionate about. He has a degree of obsessive compulsive disorder, which he will openly testify to. So what that results in is like an immaculate uh, living space, like his bedroom and his parents and any of the areas of the house that were sort of his, they were incredibly efficiently organized and you always knew where Franco lived. And for example, when he visited me in Ottawa, He would do the dishes like, like once an hour and it doesn't, it wasn't like monk where it looked visibly painful that he's doing chores. (laughs) It's just something that he did because like he's kind and also he requires a clean space. And so the elaborate point that I'm trying to make is that Franco is the perfect person to design his own home because he's very meticulous. And he knows exactly what he fucking wants. Yeah. And his dad, insofar as I know, his dad, he's a little bit of a like opaque, mysterious, kind of intimidating guy. But he's equally as intense about like uh, construction, and like he he has his own business, and he's he's also like a uh, a workhorse. And he just never fucking stops. The the two of them never stop, in fact. And the interesting thing is that despite these common personality traits, there's a lot of interesting friction between them. And that resulted in a wonderful house. And so I went to go visit that house. And for the
0: first time,
1: for the first time. And, you know, it has a lot of stairs because there's there's a basement main floor, which is where you enter the garage and then the the living the main living area of the house is on the third floor and there's two huge flights of stairs to get up there like they're super intimidating uh i was terrified of them and i thought it, like fuck my life it's been it's been months since i've left the house or like really meaningfully exercised yeah. it was prior to my dad actually building me this wonderful staircase behind me and uh so i was scared but I go into Franco's garage with my friend, Steve, who's pushing my manual chair. And he's like, yeah, you know what? In the garage, it's only one flight of stairs. It's not as intimidating. And then he's like, or we could just go this way. And he fucking opens a door. And behind the door is a goddamn, like fully functional, luxurious elevator. And 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 like, this didn't make sense to me. Like there there might as well have been like a, a mystical creature or like a unicorn on the other end of the fucking door. You were entering Narnia. I yeah. I thought I was fucking hallucinating. And then the whole time I was thinking about like, of course, this is who Franco is. Like, yeah. of course, he would put a goddamn elevator in his house. And of course, like the lion's share of its motivation would be just for like my convenience. And I just absolutely lost it. And the thing is, the friends who are with me, like they were on the construction site a lot with Franco. They worked outdoors, like helping him make the house or, you know, doing chores that Joe would allow them to do. And the hilarious thing is like uh, I didn't get to ever see the construction site. So I had fucking no idea that this was happening and franco uh like enforced the secrecy of it for 2 years so i saw this elevator and i just started laughing uncontrollably yes. like someone on reddit described it like uh, under the influence of psychedelics which is pretty much exactly what the fuck was happening to me i just couldn't <laughs> process what i was seeing and it just but it, it was clicking at the same time and it was just so totally ridiculous and i'm in the the elevator with one of my best friends steve Pashnak, who also has one of the most goddamn contagious, like, laughs yeah. I've ever heard in my life. I, and, like, I'm pretty sure most people are friends with him because his laughter alone is an antidepressant. Like, he's a very, very funny man. And, I, I, you know, I'm harping on one detail a little too extensively. But I, I just can't. Oh, a, a good laugh is so contagious. I know
0: it's the best. And then like, it's so rewarding to make that person laugh and to hear.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you and I have a lot of fun getting each other to the upper registers of our laugh where we sort of like lose control and have to literally like uh, re reset ourselves. Like after we're done laughing. Yeah.
0: Like center yourself. It's a drug for me. Like hearing someone laugh, as a result of something I did or said is the drug that I get most high on. It's like the thing I chase the most. It's especially in situations where like laughter is uncommon or, or just like break something when you know, like someone isn't supposed to laugh Yeah, or you can just say something quick that like cuts through to the point of a laugh. Um, But then the, when you're with your close friends being able to hear them laugh at that like childlike glee yeah. and joy that you you know can't be faked yeah that is the meaning of life
1: it has to be yeah what else could it be that's the reason why when you take psychedelics and you your ego quiets down the one thing that takes over is cosmic laughter yeah when all, when you strip all the bullshit away, all you could really do is laugh at existence. It really is a drug. But anyway, so that's what I was doing. I was fucking laughing uncontrollably, like with tears. You know, Steve is losing it as well because he knows exactly what's going through my head. Yeah. And I get up to the third floor and I come out of the elevator and I'm still speechless with laughter. And I just like, I, I, I was just so happy. Like it was a perfect moment to have with my friends, man. Yeah. It's just like exactly I- I- exactly what I needed, and then it, as it turns out, it's exactly what other people need too.
0: Before we like we should say the best part of all of this is if you're listening to this story and you're like, "Damn, I wish I was there to witness that." Yeah. Well, lucky for you, it was recorded.
1: Yep, it was recorded between like two iPhones and a GoPro, which was inside of the elevator,
0: and that recording ended up getting posted
1: on Reddit.
0: On Reddit by and then it... our good, good fan Michael. We should honestly give him producer credits on this.
1: He's he's a co-producer, yeah. We don't give him enough credit. He also he's like a meme
0: lord. Yep. And anytime there is a chance to show the world like something funny or fun or joyous or wholesome, Michael's the guy.
1: He knows exactly where to post the stuff so that it yeah. triggers the algorithm in the appropriate way just by virtue of his experience with social media and just being a graphic designer mogul, yeah. hardworking, crazy-ass motherfucker.
0: So he got this video, right? And he posts yeah. it on Reddit.
1: Yeah, on humans being bros. Yeah. Uh, and then it just fucking explodes. Explodes. Yeah. Like within two and a half hours, we're number one on like our all, like all threads of Reddit in one place. And yeah. so it was like insane.
0: It got like what, like 90K more?
1: Nine, yeah. Yeah, it got up to 90,000 upvotes and it had 93% positivity rate and like something like uh, 1,400 comments of mostly people just being like, "This this was cool. Like I'm glad this happened,
0: and you mentioned the news earlier.
1: Oh yeah, I did have a brief interview with um somebody from CBC the National, and they're going like sorry, Franco and I had an interview where we just sort of explained the basics of what occurred, and she asked me what my headspace was like in the in that particular moment, and I obliged or whatever. It was really nice. She was she was a lot more personable and emotional than I like expected. I. I thought it was going to be like quite rigorous and bureaucratic because it's our public broadcaster, but yeah, she was a human being. And so it was, it kind of alleviated all of my anxiety uh, going into that
0: moment. And also like kudos to them. But I think you had such a human being story to share for them that there is no real other way to approach it.
1: Yeah. What I love about that video is that what people are concentrating on, it's not how inspired they are by me because in fact like I'm actually like not really the point of the like I don't do anything to earn the moment that surrounds me like I'm just sitting there in my chair I didn't install the elevator I didn't go through all the manual labor and the effort to create the moment I'm just there to react to it yeah and the thing the thing that resonated so much with people they weren't calling me an inspiration or like you know putting me on a pedestal they were just saying like that is friendship between people and that's the thing that came across to people was that we were all collectively laughing and enjoying this realization that our close friend installed a goddamn elevator in his house yeah which is something that happens on mtv cribs not real life <laughs> yeah it's outrageous but in like the best way it's like it's it's patently insane, and I know I know Franco encountered a lot of friction in making the decision to install this thing. He really had to, like, push it forward with people who helped him build the house. They're like, "Come on, just build a ramp, like,
0: just like landscape a bit, and you'll get a hill up to the top."
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's like, "No, no, no. This is going to be the coolest thing ever. I have to do it." Yeah, and I I'm pretty sure that fucking elevator cost him thirty G. Which is, you know, like two power chairs back to back. Yeah, that's some crazy shit. Yeah. Did I say ramp? I meant
0: elevator. I said elevator.
1: Yeah. So like, I'm basically just elated that this happened. I like F- Franco's just overjoyed. I I wish we could have
0: Franco on to talk about it because I can imagine. Like, I was also thinking about. I've probably watched this video twenty four times. Yeah, and because it's just so fun. It's a great little dose of just like pure serotonin. Yeah. Again, like I said at the beginning, I think I'm an inspiration junkie a little bit. Yeah. To the point where I kind of regret some of the things I've said in the past. Anti-inspiration porn, because I watch inspiration porn. And anyway, I don't want to get into that yet. What I want to say is I can't imagine... What was going through Franco's head in that moment when he's, or even in the two years leading up to it, when (laughs) he's like, oh boy, just wait. Just wait till you come over. Yeah. Knowing that as soon as you open that door, whatever is going through your head is going to be mostly just sheer surprise. Holding that for so long. And then that final reveal, like for you, there's just basically a moment where he's like, or I could just open this door and push this button. And you're like, wait, what are you doing? Because he kind of very perfectly pauses, looks at you like, you ready for this? (laughs) Yeah, And then opens the door. And it's such a good pause because it gives you just enough time to be like, wait, something's about to happen, but not enough time to like
1: expect anything. Exactly. Yeah, I was just like, Franco, oh, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. What are do you doing? And then and then in my head I'm like, oh my God, he did it. <laughs> that motherfucker put a man on the moon. <laughs> like that's actually what it that's how ridiculous it feels. yeah you know what I mean? I made you a spaceship. Yeah, yeah, like I'll not like, you know, with the exception of the cathartic, the odd cathartic drug on this podcast. I can never really picture myself ever laughing that hard again. No. Do you know what I'm actually grateful for? Do you know like you know what I'm actually grateful for? What? I'm so glad I went pee before I went to Franco's. Yeah. Could you imagine if in that video I just like died laughing, crying, heaving, <laughs> and then just had a puddle of piss on Franco's elevator floor at the end of all that? I mean, that's what would have taken it over a hundred K. i honestly think that you should have peed it would have been the perfect way to diffuse any like inspo porn vibe right just pee on the ground (laughs) man pees himself out
0: (laughs) of sheer surprise (laughs) or like the people that would be out there being like evil friend makes disabled man pee himself
1: no kidding that yeah that would be a reddit comment that would occur speaking of which Oh, should we go through some of them?
0: I would love to go through some of the comments that came up on this
1: video. Can you please read me some of your favorite?
0: As you said, it was um 93 or so percent positive. Yep. But it was fun to focus on those 7% because that's really what the <laughs> fun is.
1: I mean, that's where you get all the the true inspiration for writing about disability, I would say.
0: Yeah. Well, it's also like... The 93%, it's awesome that it affected all those people, but we all know what they said. They said, oh, wow, this is great. This is a great show of friendship. And all that is true. Mm-hmm. But I was like, after reading those and kind of being saturated by those comments, yep, I went back to the top of the Reddit comment thread and went sort by controversial.
1: Oh, damn. And then I just had a
0: great time. <laughs> And you kind of touched on this because you're right. The video really isn't about you being inspiration. It's not even really about like Franco being inspiration. It's just about how good the friendship is that Franco wanted to do this. Yeah. And it was just like such a great, hilariously over the top gesture of friendship. Oh yeah. To the point where, you know, he's probably doing it partially to be like, Look what I did,
1: dude. I mean, th- like, it's unavoidable that he gets attention for it.
0: Well, not even attention, but just to watch you
1: react in the most
0: hysterical way. Yeah. Like, it's like worth $30,000 just for that reaction of, like, what are you doing?
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree because it's out of this world.
0: But one of my favorite comments was, wow. I just watched a minute and a half video of someone being put in an elevator.
1: <laughs> I think mean, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And I just giggled the whole way up. Okay, keep going.
0: Um, well, this is basically what I just said. It seems like he did it to make his friend laugh more than for actual access. And that is the best reason to do anything.
1: Imagine if that was the policy behind accessibility everywhere. I was going down the street uh, recently
0: bank street is like our sort of main street around where all the...
1: I'm surprised you didn't say it's the financial district. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, moving on.
0: <laughs> and so I just saw so many new storefronts that I hadn't seen since before COVID started. And I saw a lot of new ramps that I hadn't seen since before COVID started. And there was a lot of ramps to stores that... I would otherwise not really be interested in going to. But just the fact that they made an effort during COVID to reconstruct the storefront to be accessible makes me want to go to that store.
1: I would agree with that. And I, uh, Yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. Hold on. You saw a bunch of fresh unused ramps and you wanted to take a first crack at them?
0: Yeah, well, I wanted to test them out. I want to be like a bit of a ramp tester.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think
0: that would be a good thing to add to my LinkedIn.
1: Legit, though.
0: Is that a ramp tester?
1: Yeah, you just stress test the ramp?
0: Yeah. Angle, four to ten. <laughs> Door opens into ramp,
1: zero points. What would your business be called? Tony and the ramp? Yep, Tony and the ramp. And it would be me
0: and the a picture of that handle, the handicap accessible logo Uh and I would be sucking on a noodle and the
1: logo would be sucking on a noodle
0: (laughs) and we'd be about to meet in the middle.
1: (laughs) And if you did meet in the middle before biting off the noodle, it meant that the space was accessible?
0: That's right. (laughs) The further, the longer the noodle,
1: the worse the ramp. Anyway, we're off the deep end here.
0: Uh, Some of these comments, one of these comments made me think, Maybe Franco wasn't even doing it for you. Maybe Franco installed this elevator based on the premise of this comment here. The Costco one part makes it worth it alone. Nothing worse than <laughs> carrying a case of 10,000 eggs.
1: We don't have a Costco in Thunder Bay, though. I mean, we have a great American or great Canadian superstore. So I suppose I, maybe, maybe that is the case, you know, maybe it, it, it literally just makes the beer runs easier. I wonder how often he uses the
0: elevator when you're not around. Like he has like <laughs> like DoorDash there, and he's like just leave it in the elevator. Yeah, and then yeah. He just like pushes the button, the elevator comes up, he grabs his
1: dinner. It's like what are the, what are those systems called that that like old Victorian uh, like a lazy Susan or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like a bus, and that's what it's actually for.
0: Yeah, there is a comment that you added here. Yeah, I hate that he almost agreed to not ruin a moment.
1: Oh, that was in reference to drinking the shot that Franco offered me. Because there was a little bit of controversy around one part of the video where I get offered a drink. And as Anthony knows, I've been um, abstaining from alcohol for the last two years or so. And so people regarded that particular moment as uncomfortable because I did like, quite clearly hesitate And they were, they read it really well. Like, that's not wrong. But Frankel also handled it very well, in my opinion. And that he did ask me that question rhetorically. Like, he knows that I won't drink because every time we hang out, I exclusively have a small toke of CBD, like uh, vegetation. And that's what we always keep it at. And he knows that I trust him more than. 99% Ninety-nine percent of people to be respectful of that particular boundary, but I did appreciate that people picked up on that for some reason. Like it's just the idea that empathy can occur so easily is kind of cool. That's all.
0: Yeah, people are very perceptive. I think. Yeah, and so they were able to see
1: all all the little parts of it, and and that's
0: why I think you know that that was only seven percent was because. 93% of the video is joy. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's like, if you want, sure, you can nitpick or whatever and make yourself have a bad
1: time. Yeah.
0: It's almost like happiness is a choice or something.
1: And fucking Franco put an elevator in his house. He can offer me a million facetious drinks over the next 100 years, and I wouldn't care.
0: Yeah, well, it's at least 30,000, right?
1: Yeah, at least yeah, at least 30,000. <laughs>
0: I did like this comment because I always wonder the same thing. Why is his forearm so big?
1: Oh, my God. That was one that I actually told my coworkers about. (laughs) I I read it to them in our, we have a a meeting discord. We go on breaks together and play Rocket League. I was like, guys, one of the comments was, why is his right forearm so big? And then there's like a winky face after it, (laughs) which is a suggestion that I work out one side of my body too rigorously. That's all they're trying to suggest, right, Tony?
0: Right, yeah. That you just, you don't lift weights on your left hand as nothing to do with non-inspiration porn.
1: No, 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 no. But that's also, I love that joke because it's true. I am asymmetrical and it wasn't mean-spirited. They literally took something about me that is unique and they riffed on it and they made a sex joke, which is fun as well because it acknowledges that I may not necessarily be Uh, you know, asymmetrical because of uh, disability or stroke or whatever, but because of uh, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, because of that stuff. Porn.
0: (laughs) One last comment. I had an ex tell me once that if I ever became disabled, she will nope the fuck out at any age and move in with her sister rather than wipe my ass or take care of me. She's a good person, just doesn't want to take care of anyone else in old
1: age other than herself.
0: <laughs> she's a good
1: person. Yeah, but she's also um, irredeemably selfish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's like perfect comedy right there. I almost wonder if the person wrote that as a joke. I don't know. That'd be like when someone describes like several indicators of a abusive relationship, and then at the end of it, they're like, they're a good person. Yeah. You know, she keys my car and she uh, deliberately discharges my power chair at night, but she's a good person. At least she pays for the hydro bill. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, so um, whirlwind of a week for you.
1: Pretty crazy.
0: Pretty cool. Pretty amazing. Uh, we did post part of the video, like a trimmed down version, because the original video is a bit longer than uh, than Instagram. Instagram will allow. So we trimmed that. Well, our producer, Michael, trimmed down the video and we posted it on our Cripple Threat Podcast Instagram. But people should go check that out. Check out the original video on uh, YouTube as well to give people some or to give Franco some love on that video because he deserves it. He totally does. And, um, you know, you can also check out the Reddit post that literally blew up to the point of getting you on the news. Yeah. Isn't that wild that we're in the point now where what happens on social media happens on CBC The National?
1: Yeah, it's like one medium has more clout than the other.
0: Yeah, and so the only thing CBC can do is like, all right, well, Reddit liked it, so run it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Those social media... Um, behemoths are deterministic of what we see on our like more traditional media outlets it's it's also baffling to me
0: how this thing takes off like like do you think that if we had posted it at another time or in another subreddit or on another day would it have taken on the
1: life of its own that it did I mean, it really depends what other content was being posted concurrently at that moment. It's
0: such like just a perfect storm, right?
1: Yeah. Do subreddits necessarily foster particular types of people? Like was like humans being bros just the perfect environment in which to allow that video to gain traction?
0: Well, that's what I realized is... Because I do love humans being bros. I go on there sometimes when I just need some bleach for the soul. Yep. And I think I do like inspiration porn. In
1: all forms?
0: I don't know. when When does inspiration become inspiration porn? Is it just when it's like purely an objectification and you're not valuing the human elements to it
1: when is something inspiration porn
0: because i don't think it's wrong to be inspired there were also a lot of people who commented on reddit like oh for the love of internet points or okay great i'm sure he's real altruistic building an elevator for his friend and then recording it like why do you have to record things when you do something nice and it's like well first of all a you want to create a memory you want to be able to look back on this moment and relive it, but also, why can't you share it so that another person can look at it and be inspired or feel joy or 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 any anything?
1: I mean, why do we create escapism at all? Why do we why do we bother with uh, comedic narrative storytelling?
0: Yeah, anything you've ever watched, someone recorded.
1: Like no one watches an episode of of Mr. Bean and says, Oh, great. Recorded on the BBC for uh, Nielsen's ratings. Like, that's a a very silly thing.
0: Nicely done. Someone's standing there with a microphone. How convenient.
1: The whole point of a public forum is to exchange uh, information, ideas, and emotions.
0: Imagine, like, I've been watching Mad Men or like any TV show, but you're just like,
1: yeah, it's good, but scripted. Exactly, yeah. Um, So inspiration porn, I think it becomes porn when it's a, that's a fun one. I think it's like, if you think about the word porn, right? Yeah.
0: Sex and porn are different because porn is boiled down to an objectification. Well, not all porn, I guess, but like generally speaking, it's the essence of what you're trying to achieve, but the nuance is lost.
1: Yeah, I think it like porn oftentimes, um, like obfuscates the purpose or the like true appeal of intercourse. It's, it's junk food for your loins. Yeah. And so inspiration porn doesn't fully understand the root of why any inspiration should occur at all. I suppose it also makes a whole lot of sweeping assumptions about the nature of the inspirees or the inspirers experience
0: yeah it's a really i don't know cuz like you could also argue that some points we assume oh you know that woman obviously has no self respect or something but like that doesn't have to be the case like some people generally or genuinely enjoy being in the industry. And the same thing applies to inspiration is when you project your assumptions onto Franco or you in that video. And you're just like, oh, Franco did this just for views or Jamie's laughing just so he doesn't cry or something. You're just assuming a bunch of stuff and then deciding what it means to you and assigning value to it
1: also if it's porn it implies that it's dehumanizing
0: it does imply that but i don't know i just don't agree that that's the case and so that's why i'm wondering if inspiration porn is something is as bad i don't know i think we've talked about this before but i think it's when it's failing to humanize and remember like the purpose of it If it just strips all of that and boils it down to, like you said, the junk food.
1: I I think inspiration porn is porn when the root of your inspiration is false. So if people watch that video of me riding the elevator and they think, oh, what an inspiration that this guy has access to hang out with his friends. Maybe that's a little bit facile, but they actually just... Look, watch the video and be like oh look how close all those dudes are right that's wonderful and they're actually picking up on a chemistry between us that is real and that has been fostered over at least a quarter century and so it's not porn because it's real
0: yeah exactly like if if it's fabricated or created just to evoke those feelings yeah and you're not able to get anything more out of it. Yeah, maybe it's inspiration porn. I don't know. I don't think we're going to figure this one out today.
1: I will never figure it out. It's a fucking hot button topic. Do you think there's going to be backlash from the disabled community for the nature of the video?
0: Yes, because I think that the disabled community is just a disabled group of people. So one of them is going to be a dick.
1: That's just inevitable. That's fa- That's flawless logic, Tommy. <laughs> yes, because there is at least one dickhead in a wheelchair. Hey, I have a of a. I have a mid episode production question. In the interest of time and pacing, uh-huh. I'm wondering: Do you think it would be more efficient just to cover the next two episodes of the latest season of Special, and cover the final two at the start of our next episode? Do you think there's that much per episode? I mean, I have so many quotes lined up maybe you just have too many quotes. Uh, <laughs> that's also true. I tend to be a little bit overzealous. Let's see what happens. My book reports in, in elementary school were longer than the book. <laughs> I'm not lying. That's why I got an individual education plan. You're not listening. Tony. <laughs> 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 Could you add in a, a Pringle toot at the end of that? By the way, anyone from CBC listening th- to this to vet our content to make sure that we are appropriate <laughs> for the public broadcaster, we are, in spite of your judgment of our fart noises, okay?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Everybody toots. Everybody toots. <laughs> time. <sometime. laughs> <laughs> Perfect timing. How about this for a segue?
2: Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Uh, hello, I'm Ryan, and I'm a Crips virgin. Okay. Um, I have to admit, uh, I actually thought I was done dealing with my CP, but it still trolls me all the time. Um, Uber drivers ask, what's wrong with me? (laughs) Strangers come up to me at the gym and congratulate me simply for exercising. Ew. Inspiration porn. Is that what that is? We should edit that
1: woman going "yo" inspiration porn at the end of my like Reddit video. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we should.
1: In the hopes that irony will save us from any um, negative shade.
0: That's how it works. Yeah, if you're self-aware, you're immune.
1: I think Bill Burnham. The whole point of his last community. Did you watch it? I did. It was it's so good. It was good. I enjoyed it. I wish he cut his hair. It seems strange that he wouldn't.
0: You didn't cut your hair until you went to Franco's.
1: Yeah, but I'm disabled. What's his problem? He's depressed. Oh, yeah. That's almost... That's pretty... That's pretty... That's... Yeah. That's bad. All right. uh, Finish being insensitive to Bo Burnham. Well, now you're the
0: barber gatekeeper? Come on.
1: Yeah, I am. (laughs) Fuck that guy. He can use scissors. I can't. You don't know that. Maybe he... You don't know... I don't know that I can't use scissors? You don't know that he can... Ask my SSP from primary school if I could use scissors. She did all my art projects.
0: If you can get her on the podcast, I have a list of questions ready. <laughs> her,
1: her name was Mrs. Sharf. Okay. I'm not lying. That's it. End of story. We'll get her on the podcast. Okay, I'll try. All right. So. After we air this video on the national, I'm going to have some clout with my old SSPs from Catholic school. Yeah, that's, always, <laughs> that's the real
0: goal. And that's how I know this is inspiration porn.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. you told me off air and in confidence, this video, the only reason you wanted to post it was to gain clout with your SSPs.
1: I did. I confess that to you in a moment of weakness.
0: Yeah, well, I shared it with the world to know. <laughs>
1: Okay. okay. So we're going to talk about Ryan O'Connor's um, therapy session that it's he has. It's Ryan the- O'Connor. Oh fuck! I fucking keep forgetting. Do you know what it is?
0: It's that you are so disassociated when you look at him and watch yeah. his shows. Yeah. That
1: you don't know his name. He looks like the disabled son of Mitt Romney. He looks like Crip Romney. <laughs> <laughs> what? I just—he's just so dorky. I get like. It's so hard for me to connect with him. I can connect with his boyfriend Tanner. I like that I like that guy. Is that the shirt you're wearing on the national? Yes. Really? Yeah. It's just a skull with glasses on. Was oh, it yeah. a video? Yes.
0: That's amazing. I just like how you're flaming Ryan right now for wearing a, for being dorky and you're wearing that shirt. What's wrong with my shirt? Nothing. But you look like Mitt Romney's disabled son.
1: Crip <laughs> Romney? Let's keep telling that joke, see if it's funnier the third and fourth fifth time. Yeah. Um, so okay. Should I talk about the why that scene drives me crazy and then why it's yeah. wait, did we play it in full? Yeah. When did he stop talking? Did he explain that he got molested? Molested? By the end of the clip?
0: No. It ends with him saying,
1: Oh, is that what that is? Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay. Okay, so all right. Firstly, um, in episode five, the point. Okay, I of just the- want
0: to say my piece before you talk for forty-five minutes. Okay, um, I just want to say a lot happens in these four episodes.
1: Like the, the 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 season is backloaded toward these four episodes. I would say almost everything happens.
0: The, they're very good episodes. It's almost like they. They they realized, oh, we only have four episodes left. Let's make sure everything comes to roost. Uh-huh. And it all does. And a lot of it does in some of the best writing we've seen to date for the show.
1: Yeah, because pretty much every five minutes there's a there's a narrative turning point that is significant to all the key players.
0: Yeah. But I don't even think it's just because it's fast paced. I think it's actually just Thought out and and what I really liked, I, I don't I don't want to get too far ahead, but I really liked that this part of the show, although it was a very quick, too quick in my opinion, of a flip for Ryan to go from I don't identify as disabled to I don't know why you're not letting me be at Crip Prom forever. Right. But I really liked that Ryan ended the show. His character arc ended with him realizing, understanding, and better identifying with the fact that he is disabled.
1: Well, yeah, that's the intent of his series arc for sure. And I think it does achieve that to some degree, but his sort of turning point when he embraces like the, the disabled side of his life does happen way too quick. Like it's in the final quarter of the second season and- it, it can feel unearned or he can look hypocritical because it, it doesn't happen soon enough. Um, so in that clip, we have Ryan talking to uh, a group of disabled people for the first time. It's just like a social circle. They get together um, and they talk about their the lives, crypts. the crypts. Yeah. They talk about their lives and they have social like events in that particular episode. Uh, they're planning a crippled prom Which is a bunch of wheelies get together on a dance floor, get drunk, smoke weed, and pretend like they're graduating from high school. Because a lot of disabled people have lackluster prom experiences, which I personally can identify with. I'm not sure about you, Anthony.
0: Mine wasn't accessible. I didn't go.
1: Oh, my God. You uh, you have to contact Ryan O'Connell and ask him if you can go to the next Crip Prom. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's not something I really feel like I missed. It doesn't feel like a milestone in my life that.
1: When's the last time you got to dance with a pretty woman in a dress at like at a at a club?
0: I made up for it when I got to university. Okay. Yeah, to the point where by like the end of third, end of even second year maybe, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm over it.
1: Really? Yeah. You're tired of the slow dance with a crush? You like? Uh, I never slow danced. I guess like slow dances don't really lend themselves to power chairs.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've slow danced with people I've dated, but never with like a stranger.
1: I would say that's common amongst most people. uh, Why would you slow dance with a stranger? That'd be so weird.
0: Well, like crypt, like prom or something.
1: Imagine like resting your head on someone's shoulder and being like, So, what do you do for a living? (laughs) Hey, is this seat taken? Just play some berry White. <laughs> is this shoulder taken? Um, so one thing that I I I always have to mention one thing that I did dislike about any audio clip that we play, as it pertains to this show, is that everyone in this kind of group circle they talk about instances where they've encountered severe ableism, and then they joke about it and they riff, and everyone gets like a a, a laughter of relief from their shared suffering, and. The 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 women that they choose to be extras in the Crip Circle, they're given a lot of really funny one-off lines. And there's actually one woman who is an alumni of Superstore, Mm -hmm. and in Superstore they did basically nothing with her except allow her to be. She spoke in Superstore. I don't think she ever did. She just stood amongst the other like Walmart lackeys in various scenes where they needed to look like the store employed more actors than they actually did yeah but in this show like she basically takes command of every line of dialogue every scene that she's in she performs the mother out of it yeah. so it's a joy watching watching those two kind of like make the peripheral of the show more interesting yeah. so ryan's story he starts off like pretty adjacent with everyone else and then he kind of like overshares and this may be a little bit uncomfortable, but it is sort of the the resolution of the bad date that he had in the first uh, few episodes where he kind of like explains that he felt objectified and fetishized. Yes. And actually to the show's credit, the Crips don't fully act as though what occurred was like immutably incorrect or bad. They're like one of the, one of Ryan's friends actually says like, if you're going to be fetishized, it should at least be with a, a B-list actor, like not a C-lister or whatever. Yeah. So they do make light of it, uh, it perhaps in a way. Uh, I, I, I think it actually corrects course. Like my initial complaint about the bad date may not apply anymore. Like I should have waited until episode five.
0: Well, you didn't know this happened, but I think that what it shows is a bit more of Ryan's emotional arc. Yeah. Because he was able to, in the moment, you know, he still identified as able-bodied. And I think in real life, maybe he still does to an extent. Yeah. Rightly so. Like, he's more able-bodied than both of us. But in the show, this happens to him with the devotee, and he's instantly turned off. Yep. But then in the crypt circle, where he is, again, one of the more able-bodied people there, mm-hmm. they're all like, oh, yeah, that happens. Yeah. And they're kind of showing him the ropes. And it's almost to the point where some of the stuff he's complaining about seem almost pedantic.
1: Right. Which I maybe actually the show doesn't sell like well enough. It's a little yeah. ambiguous as to whether or not that's the intent by the end of the scene. Right um and that's probably just to be sensitive to Ryan or to anyone who's encountered a particular like episode of fetish fetish size season
0: yeah it's a hard thing to take a hard stance on
1: i it sure is but i also sort of thought that it was like a bit much because uh, imagine you just entered a new circle of disabled people okay and the the whole point of the circle is to talk about your problems granted yeah. but you're still a perfect stranger yeah. Like you you haven't really got a sense for the relativity of your issues next to everyone else around you. And as as you and I both yeah. know, like, like disability is not one single plane. Like everyone's on kind of different levels. Like we're not comparable is what I'm trying to right. say. And so you're like, there's a lot of common ground in terms of how society kind of groups us in the same spot and puts us at the same lunch table. I was literally put at a different lunch table, by the way. Yeah, me too. That's why I use the metaphor. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, despite that we were, like, super high-functioning, like, well-socialized, when I say high-functioning, I mean, like... Your friends have elevators. (laughs) Yeah. I mean that we, um, part... I don't know. Now I feel like I just said a dickish thing.
0: Well, well well-functioning, like, you can't argue that some people with disabilities... I feel comfortable saying this, because I grew up in foster care and we had the full gamut of people with disabilities from people who were smarter than me, all the way to people who like couldn't be left alone right, at risk of hurting themselves or others or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's just, I don't think, I don't think it's, it would be fair for someone to get upset by that. That's just how it is there there is a range of people, and someone's functional ability is on that spectrum able-bodied people by the way have different levels of function functionality
1: that's very true
0: there there's high high functioning able-bodied people and low functioning able-bodied people the low functioning able-bodied people I'm thinking of are those seven percent on reddit
1: <laughs> exactly yeah, that's why they're so jealous yeah because I have a high functioning elevator and they don't Right. All I was trying to say is that Ryan enters the circle and he immediately dives into his sex life and it that kind of felt a little bit distasteful. I know for efficiency of narrative he has to do that. What would what would you have done? I pro- I wouldn't have fucking talked about my most recent lay. I would have like try- I would have asked more questions about those the people at the circle. I would have tried to figure them out. Give them the floor.
0: Yeah, but that's not really the goal, right? Everyone's supposed to be there to support each other but like
1: up until this point the only wheelie that we've been asked to identify with is ryan right. who is so like intersectional and favoring able-bodiedness that it may not necessarily be the best you know he may not be the most always reliable protagonist or whatever the the greatest anchor for the, the story even though it's about him i don't know what i'm saying yeah the point is that um That scene should have made him feel small. Uh, Like he should. It's like when you go to a bigger city and you recognize that you're just one person in a crowd. Yeah. He should have been in the crowd. And yet he steals the limelight with a monologue and he uses it to talk about his fucking sex life. Right. And I'm sure a lot of people in that circle, it's been a while for them since they've had a sexual encounter. So their reception to that Story might be like, who's this asshole? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and may, I, maybe I'm making an assumption by saying that it could have been could be a while for those people, but it just doesn't seem. like You should probably read the room before you start talking about the last time you fucking had sex with someone. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, the other thing is, like, uh, as I said, it would be nice to be able to identify with more than just Ryan as a wheelie on the show. I agree. The back half of the season is devoted to how passionate Ryan has suddenly become about, uh, it, like, embracing his disabled side. And there's a quote in the collection that I gathered where he he goes and asks his mother, He's uh, maybe you he can find it. I uh, have a
2: cue for you. Yes? Did I have, like, any disabled friends growing up?
0: Oh, you had the the people in physical therapy. <laughs>
2: yeah, but we weren't like friends. We we're like a sports team. Our rival was life.
0: Well, That's when me. you played with other disabled kids, you were so high functioning, it, and it, it just made you feel bad. Why did I do something wrong?
2: No, no, you didn't do anything wrong. I just um I'm going to this disabled meetup thing, and uh, I've just never done that before. You know, been with so many disabled people. That is
0: wonderful. I'm so happy. Is is Henry going with you?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the thing that frustrates me about that quote is that like he puts the burden on the nature of his circle as a kid on his mother, kind of. He also said like it's also sort of established that yeah, Ryan didn't hang out with other wheelies because he was so far ahead of them, which is like slight humble brag. And then two, he felt guilty about it, though. So it's okay. Like so long as he felt guilt, then it's permissible. And I'm not saying that he should pay the piper or something like that. I'm just saying that it would be more interesting for me if he didn't hang out with other people in wheelchairs because ableism, because he was afraid of them. Because yeah. I think you and I have had multiple conversations about how we were afraid to integrate with other wheelies because we were afraid of go- of eating at the same lunch table. Yeah, And I, that's a real thing. And I don't think he should be ashamed to say that he wasn't socialized with wheelies because it was considered like a faux pas or something taboo.
0: It is a real thing. He shouldn't be ashamed. You're right, but I still feel some shame around feeling that way. Like I, I know there were moments growing up where, like I said, there was a full gamut of disabled people and different kinds of disabilities that manifest in different ways, and. I was always super self-conscious that if I was with someone who had a mental disability, introducing myself to a new stranger would mean that I would be, it would be assumed that I would be also having that same mental disability. And that frustrated me. And it, I still feel some shame around feeling that way because it's all insecurity. And I wish You know, I I don't think I would feel the same way anymore because I'm more confident with who I am. But I kind of wish I could go back and tell that to my past self. So I get his shame.
1: Yeah, I do, too. I just wish that it was approached more honestly.
0: Yeah. Like I said in the last episode, though, I really do think for Ryan, this show was like him on a path like he almost wrote it as therapy for himself like i think that he was going through this show hoping to come out more comfortable with the situation
1: i would agree with that and i get much more of that vibe like my sort of anger and frustration with him has dissipated yeah after watching the back half and then re-watching for the quotes i have calmed down about my frustrations with him that's good
0: so you also have an emotional arc which I also called in the last episode. So,
1: Are you saying we should wrap it up?
0: Yeah, that's it. Good job, guys. Uh, what I will say, though, is I, I do wish that Ryan focused more on like the nuance of his disability. I felt like a lot of his disability was written, yeah. but not really demonstrated on screen.
1: Exactly. Yeah, we, we talked about that extensively last week.
0: Yeah, but even this week, like, there were moments where, like, there's a moment specifically where I remember calling it out and pausing it, where he's going through a door with Tanner, and Ryan, you can tell, is sort of self-absorbed with the idea of, like, don't trip over this camera in front of me, and make sure I can get through the door, yep. but he kind of forgets that Tanner's probably going to go first.
1: Yeah, he becomes preoccupied with the transfer, so to speak. Yeah. And he forgets social etiquette. I've done this before. I think a lot of people with cerebral palsy do this, where we've become so conditioned to people holding doors for us and waiting for us and accommodating us just by pure like rhythms of socialization and not necessarily because we've been taught to expect it. Right. You know, people people are generous with time and space when they are sharing it with wheelies yeah so um so when you're going through a door you just as a person in a wheelchair you assume you have the right of way because you've always had the right of way
0: oh yeah i have canadian standoffs with people all the time at elevators oh yeah it's like oh you go first because you're a foot away from the door and in front of me and they're like oh no no you go first which is hilarious because it's way easier for you to go first because now like, I can't even get in the elevator without you moving.
1: So in this one particular example that you're pointing out, like Ryan and Tanner are having their first dinner with Ryan's mother and they greet her at the door. And then I think the way they had staged that scene, Tanner was supposed to go through the door first, but Ryan went through first. And then the actor who played Tanner was not expecting it. So he gets startled. And they quickly sort of cut that out or like shied away from it. But you could tell that that's what occurred. And it it felt as though you could blame it on like Ryan's CP and just like slight unawareness in focusing on getting through the door.
0: Yeah. But instead of cutting those moments out, I really wish that they kept them in and emphasized them even like there was another scene. I remember where he's just like on, a recumbent bike and I, i'd rather watch you get on and off the bike yeah and actually use the bike because even in the half second of him using the bike you can see that he's struggling to make it go forward he actually ends up going backwards for a second
1: so it was um a scene where basically uh ryan's friend kim is going through financial issues and she has to move out of her apartment and so she's in the middle of gathering all her clothes and um, valuables and ryan is trying to give her a pep talk of the next step in her life and how it's not so bad that she has to move in with her parents temporarily potentially and um, they they want it to be more interesting than him just standing or sitting so they put him on a bike and it it looks a little awkward I almost wonder if a bit
0: of the motivation was not even just for, like, visual interest, but again, to kind of, like, demonstrate, look, Ryan does exercise.
1: Or, yeah, like, just like an able-bodied actor, Ryan can be given something to do while delivering his lines. Yeah. And it, and it will look normal, or whatever normal looks like. It, he won't struggle with that particular arrangement. Yeah. And, it, it, it unfortunately, it sort of stuck out like a man on a recumbent needlessly.
0: There was also like a scene, maybe this is the last example. I don't want to go through all the examples where CB could have been better, but he was eating with Tanner and I think Kim and her boyfriend. He goes to load up his fork, but it comes off empty and he just has to go anyway and like eat it. And I'm just like, it would be great to show like, live in that moment, you know, and try again and drop drop something on your lap. Who cares? Like, show that CP... Like, even at the beginning, I remember there's a lot more walking in these four episodes.
1: There is a lot of walking and talking.
0: And it shows that Ryan's disability is a lot more pronounced than we were sort of led to believe for the first mm-hmm. season and a half. Yep. And to the point where, like you were talking about in previous episodes, his disability isn't really that opaque. Like, realistically, Tanner would have noticed pretty quickly that something was up. People probably noticed it was demonstrated in that scene so that someone could come up to him and congratulate him at the gym. But then in other scenes, People don't even notice that he's disabled. Like, pick a lane.
1: Yeah, like in in some scenes he has to confess to it. And in others he has to like shrug off people's assumptions. And so there's a gap there in his concept of the character and potentially of himself. Or just like a
0: jarring transition.
1: So I I think the error comes in like Ryan's desire to stage every instance in which he copes with his disability. So it's like, it's a pronounced moment with how the camera is situated and like the scene is devoted to him solving the disabled problem. But his examples again are like really uninteresting and they're not in his blind spot. Like they're all things that he thinks his disabled experience is as opposed to, what it might actually be. Like, it would it would have been great, as you say, if they had ad-libbed some of this stuff. Yeah. Like, if someone had pointed out to him, like, hey, you just kind of fucked up with that fork, like, maybe we should make that part of the scene or something. Yeah. Or, you know, you're doing a lot of walking in these scenes, and it looks like you have the endurance to go maybe, like, two, three kilometers, like, at a reasonable pace before you need to sit down. So should we show you sitting down? Like you're also in your thirties, so you probably have a bad knee. Like, should we address your bad knee—the yes. one that maybe turns in a little bit with each step—and should we also talk about how you are self-conscious of certain kinds of clothes because of how they emphasize or de-emphasize your atrophy? Like things like that—things that are actually uncomfortable instead of just like boring examples. Yeah,
0: I don't. I totally agree. The the one thing I'm thinking is maybe, again, I think I mentioned this last time, but maybe they didn't do it to that extent because this is sort of like entry-level rookie disability show. It's sort of meant to be an introduction to all things disability, for disability, by disability.
1: Yeah. He may not also have the writer's room to challenge him right. uh, for certain creative decisions, where like, because if your if your writer's room is like one disabled guy and then yeah. like three like adjacent uh, wheelies or you know able-bodied friends of wheelies who are intimately familiar with Ryan, yeah. then they can't say like, oh, you know, maybe this he's thing- like,
0: I'll, I'll be on a recumbent bike for this one, and they're like, yeah, how
1: are you going to get on a
0: bike? And he's like, I'll be on a recumbent bike,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: they're like, okay, Ryan's on the bike,
1: right. Yeah. And he's casually on the bike. Yeah. Like he can just sort of flirt with the pedals, just like a normal able-bodied person would do who are fidgeting with their feet. I can't fidget with my feet. Literally every time I move my foot, it's a full thought. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's not something I can do unconscious. My legs are never part of my body language. They are always just sort of there and I have to force them to move. Yeah, I think Ryan goes through that too, but he really likes to downplay it. Do you remember the very first scene
0: of the entire show where he gets hit by the car? Mm-hmm. To me, the staging and the timing of that scene was so funny and just a perfect disability meets the real world in a funny way moment.
1: Why? Because it was slapstick. I yeah,
0: I almost think because it was slapstick. It was digestible because it's just like spoon fed, but not in a way where it's patronizing. Mm -hmm. Everyone's sort of in on the joke and it's okay to laugh at the disabled guy getting hit by a car. I kind of wish that that tone was used a bit more throughout the show.
1: Like it didn't necessarily take Ryan so seriously.
0: Yeah. Like Ryan wasn't trying to teach us something.
1: There's still something kind of, like, empty about his characterization. Again, I think that he's, like, letting his disability uh, substitute for personality. Yeah. And that is not, like, valid. Like, um, I wanted more of maybe even a voiceover. We never really learned his interests or, like, his hobbies, really. No, we know he likes to bone And that he's a bit pretentious about like alcohols and foods. Yeah. But it, that's, there's not really anything there. Like, I don't know who Ryan O'Connell, the person, is after watching that show, really. I just know he's like a timid wheelie who's like a little bit ableist and kind of naive. And His, his
0: relationship dynamic and the arc that the relationship with his mother goes through is fantastic. Pretty good. And I think they spent... Ryan probably spent a lot of time thinking about that. I agree. Because um, that shows. It does. I really think that... Um, first of all, the actress who plays Jennifer, Je, Jessica Hecht...
1: That's her name? Yeah. Jessica Hecht! Hecht. Eins, zwei,
0: drei, vier, fünf uh, Krippel! Jamie took a German class, everyone, as you can tell.
1: Ich habe so viele Hausaufgaben heute.
0: I also have a She was really good. But, like
1: always, always so good. Right.
0: Yeah, but the acting wasn't the only good thing. The writing and the dialogue was also really profound
1: cause it We need we we need more details here. Tony, what the fuck you talking about?
0: Especially that one scene <laughs> where I, I don't know if you took a clip of this, but she meets Tanner for the first time. I did. Is Mrs. Hayes.
1: Karen.
2: Oh. Yep. Karen. I wanted to tell you that you killed it on the mom front. Ryan is incredible.
0: Hmm. Oh God, I'm, so, I, you know, I don't really know anything about you. Tell me, what do you do?
2: I teach dance at the sweat circle a few times a week.
0: Oh, that's fun. Yeah. What do you do when you're not doing that?
2: Oh, you know, go for hikes, ride my bike. I tried getting Ryan to come with me on a ride. He apparently doesn't know how.
0: Well, we tried. We did, but with the CP.
2: So, yes, what? Of course. Sorry. (laughs) You know, I I didn't really know what cerebral palsy was before I met Ryan. I thought it was like a brain thing. Yeah, it is. Yes, I know. But I thought it made you like mentally slow. And that's not Ryan. You know, like, honestly, I don't even think of Ryan as disabled. I just think of him as normal. Well, he's kind of both. Okay.
0: I guess that clip is a little bit more geared for... the the interaction with tanner but it still shows the mom's dialogue is written so well
1: that it
0: it was one of the more nuanced discussions that the mom had and shows that she's the most three-dimensional character in the show
1: by far yeah she's because in that one exchange she's incredibly reserved she's not sure what to think about tanner And she's overhearing him kind of commit all of these um, disabled faux pas. You know, Tanner is saying that he didn't know anything about disability uh, before he met Ryan and that Ryan's not slow and he's uh, quite an inspiration. And um, he has made some sort of assumptions about the extent of Ryan's uh, mobility that proved wrong and he failed to consider that it's due to his disability. And so the show is trying to position Tanner as Mr. Wrong now that they've been through their like sort of romantic tryst and that the, you know, the honeymoon is fading.
0: But again, it pivots so quickly.
1: It does. And I think that, Uh, like the actor who plays tanner his performance is so good that it actually like does a disservice to the narrative because when they want to start making him look like the bad guy it it doesn't really work we still like him a lot so in that scene i agree with you though that the mom Jessica jessica hecht is good (laughs) because hecht because she's trying to She's trying to bite her tongue and she doesn't want to correct Tanner or yeah. alienate him because she knows that he's still finding his footing in this relationship. And that Ryan likes him. Yeah. So when she's cutting this carrot, it's almost like a little bit menacing because you're wondering if she wants to stab Tanner with the knife.
0: Yeah. Is she just listening intently or is she thinking intently?
1: hmm. And the throughout the series, like they, there's a, uh, there are many, many moments in which the world mistreats Ryan's mother and she takes it right on the chin and pretends like it didn't happen. And then she has to wait to the point of no return, which we've talked about a lot as disabled people. We often get pushed past the point of return and then we explode and then we're accused of being irrational or being unfair or Um, people not understanding where we're coming from so this happens to ryan's mom repeatedly and the the course of her arc in the show is her gradually sort of finding herself and figuring out how to stand up for herself and plant her feet and whatnot how to live independently of ryan while still loving him and this is why i think that special is ultimately fantastic even though i hate it sometimes and often
0: that's a great Character development for you. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. Whatever. Um, whatever, dude. I can praise when you grow. Thanks. I. I. Okay. So yeah. So we love her character, and for good reason. Can we talk a little bit more about the vilification of Tanner, though?
0: Yeah. Wasn't there another quote you wanted to say about the mom? Mm,
1: there's one quote where she sort of talks about um, where she's kind of confronted by um, a rude pedestrian. When she's on a trip, I forget where she goes on a trip without Ryan. And the whole point is to kind of regroup, um, meditate and uh, unplug from the world. And then she kind of the Airbnb that she has is adjacent to a dickhead. And he tries to tell her not to listen to music in the evening. And then everything that she's been kind of coping with throughout the past two seasons sort of bubbles up. And she defends herself against this person. And she basically talks about how she hasn't had a vacation in 30 years because she had to raise a boy with CP and also ease her dying mother through dementia. And so she's been in a state of compassion fatigue for so long that she no longer has compassion for herself. And this is kind of the time where she's like regrouping and refueling. And then a fucking dickhead comes and says, turn your music down. So she gives him a, a huge uh, tongue lashing. And it's, it's one of the best sort of payoff moments in the series. We probably don't have to play the clip because I just summarized it uh, fairly okay. But you know, in an, with another actress or less experienced actress, it may not have landed. No. And I think it's because we care about Ryan's mom and we sort of see her Gradually move away from that gentle frailty. Super satisfying.
0: Credit again to the writers, though, because or maybe it was Ryan that wrote the dialogue. Who knows? But the dialogue again in that scene is great. And of course, Jessica, (laughs) uh, she really like breathes life into the role. But at the same time, credit were credits due to the writers of that dialogue. Agreed. Yeah, let's talk about Tanner. Um, just a second. Let me actually just start with a clip that might start the discussion.
2: What you said to her, it kind of wasn't great. I mean, when you said the woman in a wheelchair was an inspiration, and then you asked if she knew her. What's wrong with that? Babe, it's like when a straight person assumes you know every gay person who's ever lived. I was just trying to be nice. What should I do? Just try harder. Tanner, you don't get it, okay? A crip prom- Oh my God! I knew you were still pissed about that. Well, yeah, I tried not to be, okay? But you basically said to me, don't worry, babe, I don't have to be a part of this hugely important aspect of your life. Why don't you just do your thing and I'll do mine? Well, you made it so clear how much my presence was just fucking everything up. I was just trying to offer up a solution. I don't want to be with someone that I have to section out parts of my life for, okay? I want you to be a part of everything. Fine, then I'll be a part of it. <laughs> I love you, Ryan.
0: Yeah, so those two clips really sort of sum up where Ryan and the writing team is trying to take Tanner into this sort of like, he's too simple for for Ryan. Him and Ryan don't, he and Ryan don't really connect in a way where we were led to believe or something.
1: They're trying to position it as um, staying with Ryan, or sorry, staying with Tanner. It would be foregoing the effort to embrace Ryan's disability. It would be um, settling for someone who is, again, too simple, who maybe doesn't understand disability or doesn't want to. The things that he needs from Ryan are uncomplicated enough that he doesn't have to acknowledge the deeper struggles of Ryan's day-to-day life. And so he, again, is Mr. Wrong. But I I don't actually think they accomplish that. And I have, no. I have trouble with it again. Ryan
0: Tanner's actor, the actor, who plays Tanner is so good, so it's hard to dislike him.
1: It's good because he's convincing when he says that he loves Ryan. Yeah, it's good because he looks excited to be around him, uh, because he has that that like that energy of a new relationship around Ryan, and that's palpable. That's called chemistry, and I think he's kind of bringing it to the table more than. Mr. O'Connor, or or O'Connell himself. So, but at Crip Prom, Tanner commits a cardinal sin. And this is supposed to sell to us, the disabled and able-bodied audience, that Tanner is wrong for Ryan. Um, So Tanner has an exchange with one of the Crips where he uh, is talking about his dance career. And he says, you need to come to my classes we already have a disabled woman. She's fantastic. Uh, her name's Linda or something. And then he's like, do you know her?
2: Okay, You are an amazing dancer. <laughs> you should come to my class at the sweat circle. Oh, that sounds fun. We already have a girl in a wheelchair. Her name's Jillian and she kills it. Everyone is just so inspired by her. Wait, do you know her? Jillian? Of
0: course. <laughs> uh, we met at the
2: inspirational people in wheelchairs who like to dance convention i fucking love that convention i know right okay is anyone drunk yet
0: that is funny
2: i mean
1: it's pretty funny um and it's supposed to be like a kind of cathartic release for disabled people in the audience who have wished that they could be um passive aggressive and slightly angry toward Um, people on the dance floor who assume things about what it's like to be in a wheelchair. But I kind of felt that it was too standoffish. It didn't quite work for me because I didn't feel like Tanner really deserved it. Right. And I could be entirely wrong on this. This could be my ableism talking, but... Can't wait. So in a more traditional romantic comedy between two heteronormative uh, straight people... The moment where the woman realizes that the man is wrong for her is when she encounters a moment of casual misogyny. Like this guy doesn't even realize that what he's saying or doing is wrong because his misogyny is built into the fabric of his character. And therefore, it's never going to work out between them because he doesn't respect our our lead female protagonist. And so the movie is kind of making or the, like special is making the argument that ableism is kind of the same thing. Like the minute a disabled person hears ableism from their romantic interest, they're going to, they should start to become skeptical and they should start to disinvest. I don't actually think that's true. And I know that that's, that's a potentially a a scandalous thing to say, but here's the thing like Tanner has had multiple dates with Ryan. They have done a lot of things together. Uh they've they've slept together multiple times. Tanner has shown patience like and graciousness and uh he's he's shown like a genuine infatuation with Ryan. So the fact that he is suddenly ignorant about like what CP is and l- this whole thing about you know oh Ryan doesn't have any cognitive deficits like he's per- he's quite special. All, all those kind of red flags, they don't really add up um, when you consider what has occurred previously, like during the honeymoon. And then you have to realize that love happens so seldomly for disabled people that if I hear somebody that I'm dating say something offhandedly ableist to another disabled friend of mine, it's going to take a lot more than that for me to fucking dump them. Well, not even
0: because love happens more sporadically, but also just because if you love that person, you're not just gonna leave them when they say something like that. You're gonna be like, oh, let me tell you why that could be hurtful or is hurtful to me. Yeah. And just help them understand because you can't expect them to know what ableism is or what or or, or how often you hear a comment like, oh, do you know so-and-so who's also in a wheelchair? Yeah. I, when you explain it to them, they'll probably understand. Yeah. And if they get defensive and argue argue with you, then maybe then you can have a problem. Yeah. But you should, if you love them and you care about the relationship, be able to communicate those things and not just be like, oh, well, you didn't get it and you don't automatically know my experience so i'm not even going to try with you
1: the fact of the matter is that ryan is visible to tanner in a way that up until this point in his fictional life he has never encountered yeah (laughs) that is a big deal and so it's going to take a lot more than that for him to be positioned as mr wrong not to mention the fact that ryan can't really Like for him to argue that disability is now such an important part of his life, like in terms of his social landscape and whatnot, it seems, as I said earlier, super hypocritical. It's like you go to one cripple prom and all of a sudden other wheelies are your uh, unambiguous allies and the the able-bodied people are clueless and hapless. Yeah, I had an
0: issue with that too. Like How quickly he jumped the fence from, I don't even identify as disabled, to you don't see me in the way that I am as a disabled person, and you don't understand ableism to the degree that I do because I went to one circle jerk of disabled people.
1: Yeah. By the way, that whole circle thing reminded me of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and that drove me nuts. Yeah. I mean, the circle that they first meet in the very first time we're introduced to the Crips. So how can Ryan expect Tanner to respect this side of his life if he has yet to do that himself? And if the show hasn't successfully made the argument that he has become like more holistic as a person uh, relative to his disability, th- like they can't start putting the burden of like empathy and understanding on Tanner.
0: I'm going to go back to what I said last time i honestly think they just tried to cram too much into two
1: seasons well why why is that like that should be considered a a valid criticism
0: i'm not saying it's not a criticism yeah i'm just saying that i'm just trying to understand where it's coming from i i agree that it should have picked a few things and dive deeper into those things but it didn't and i i do think it's at its own detriment But I also understand why it did that, because when you find out you're going to get a TV show and it's about disability and you're going to be in it, there's got to be a huge desire to write about everything that everyone's ever wanted to see in a show like that. Yeah,
1: you have to throw in the crippled kitchen sink. Yeah. And like at waist high level.
0: With automatic
1: faucets. Yep. And attendants who refuse to do your dishes. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So like I get it. I'm not saying it doesn't deserve criticism because of that. I think it's a valuable exercise still to try to figure out why it's making the choices it's making so that at least if you and I, for example, are in a position where we get to write a show, Mm -hmm. we can know the pitfalls to avoid, but also... Their causes so that we don't fall into them again, right?
1: Yeah, I agree. I I guess, like, in order to get to the point in um, fiction where ableism and misogyny equate to the same sort of short, like, narrative shorthand, um, there's going to have to be more works of fiction about wheelies and more examples of ableism and how it erodes relationships.
0: That's something we've talked about a bunch, right? Like the the main pitfall and the main reason we are so critical of all of these shows isn't really the fault of any one of the, these shows or movies. Uh, it's just the fault of the landscape of media right now and how it isn't fairly or accurately or adequately representing disability. So when you, when you do see a show... That does represent disability. Your natural instinct is to hold it on this super high pedestal, yep, because you want it to be everything you've wanted for so long, and it just can't do that.
1: It yeah, inevitably it will disappoint you. Yeah, and actually, like that disappointment is a good thing because it provokes further conversations exactly about how to tell disabled stories. Yeah, but um, uh, can we play a clip from episode eight?
2: I can't write watered down bullshit for you anymore. I'm not really interested in, in making people feel comfortable with my existence. Um, I've been doing that my entire life and uh, I've never asked myself for one moment, like, am I comfortable? How the fuck do I feel? So I quit. Anyways, um, happy bride, happy life. Happy wedding. Thank you.
0: This to me was so gross.
1: Yeah. Can we first, like, at least try to demonstrate that we understand what he was trying to get at? So this is a a speech that Ryan ends up making at his boss's wedding because his boss is a huge jerk to him. To everyone. But it's hilarious. It's so funny. She's the funniest part of the
0: show by a mile.
1: It's almost like criminal that she's so funny because you end up kind of rooting for her.
0: All of the lines. Like, honestly, I feel like if Ryan was the one writing her lines, that's his specialty. Yeah. He should write a show where it's just people like her in a show talking to each other or like her and the front man or the pincushion or whatever. Yeah. Like Ryan excels at the dialogue written for her it was not ryan whoever it is she is so cutting and cunning but the delivery is also so good anytime she talked i was excited about it i wanted to listen to it again yeah she's so funny
1: i feel like ryan needs to write an anti-hero um amc drama about a lead character who's the head administrator of an attendant care program. And she just has complete and utter disregard for everyone under her sphere of care. Yes. And it's all about what she does in order to um, gaslight and slightly oppress oppress her clients. That would be so good. Everything she does will be categorically evil and wrong. And slowly but surely, the clients will gain the autonomy to fight back, and there will be a comeuppance? That'd be a great show.
0: Like her being like, whatever. They're disabled anyway. Why are we even giving them showers in the first place? <laughs> Who's going to smell them? Just put the same tools on they were wearing yesterday. Make sure the door's locked so nobody goes in there. And get back to the office.
1: So um, in this speech, though... Ryan is tired of his boss making him write these pith, pithy list- listicles that don't ever get to the, the root of what he actually wants to accomplish as a writer.
2: I did love your piece, though. Great job, Diva. Really? Thank you. It's a shame we can never run it. Wait, what? Ryan, what you have written is an incredible, searing account of what it's like to be disabled in an ableist society. But it's also sad and angry. Well, yeah. That's because I am sad and angry. Look, I understand oppression, okay? I'm a redhead. But this, uh, it's just going to depress people. Can't you just end the piece with you accepting your disability and, uh, I don't know, climbing Mount Everest or something? Olivia, I accept my disability, but I still have to live in a world that doesn't know what to do with me. And that's super painful and shitty. I don't want to sugarcoat it. Look, maybe you can condense some of this into a funny listicle. Like what? Top ten times I fell down? Ooh, yes. Perfect. Write it. <laughs> I'm
1: so sorry, but I would love to read that listicle.
0: That'd be so good. Why don't you write it?
1: We should write it together. I fall daily. My bathroom is unfinished. It's a death trap. I, I could do top ten times I've been dropped. <laughs> top ten times I've been dropped. could do like top 10 times I pissed myself top 10 times I disappointed my mom by destroying her house
0: top 10 times I made the wrong move in toilet chest
1: (laughs) subsequently Ryan makes a speech at his boss's wedding and it's supposed to be this great moment where he doesn't settle for his unhealthy work environment (laughs) and he um no longer wants to avoid his disability and why for you, did that feel hollow, Anthony? It wasn't even that I wasn't even really focused
0: on the hollow feel. I was really annoyed that he was grandstanding and doing this at his boss's wedding, like when he's supposed to be, albeit he was thrust into giving a speech, but it was still like frustrating that that's the time and place. For him to make this grand realization about his life. Yeah. And again, it just felt rushed
1: or, or like, like semi self absorbed. Yeah. Could you imagine if you were tasked with speaking at a wedding and you chose to use those minutes to promote the podcast?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say, you know, I love my friend. I'm really happy to be here. Um, please go check out Cripple Threat. It's a cripplethreatpodcast.com. And uh, can someone help me with the bathroom, please?
1: <laughs> if I ever had a wedding in some parallel universe, and that's what you said at it, I would die. <laughs> I would love it so much. It would make for another viral video
0: disabled man gives speech at disabled friends wedding
1: yeah um all for internet points i guess it's because we like the boss too much right like we don't actually feel yeah like she deserves like ryan's moment of actualization
0: yeah Mm -hmm. i think we're supposed to be on ryan's side for a few of these moments like when he's breaking up with tanner and this moment and honestly i'm not because uh maybe it's like it's like that thing you know where like If I make a joke about stairs with you, you're like, lame, I'm over it, I roll, get away. When I make that joke with a group of able-bodied friends, and they're like, damn, that was funny, I never heard that before. Yeah. And it's almost the same thing with this show. A lot of these references are so inside baseball that I get it, but I really don't think the audience was for disabled people in that moment.
1: Exactly. I
0: think it was written for an able-bodied person to be... I don't even know if it's virtue signaling, but it just feels I guess it does feel hollow, but it also feels a little patronizing. It's written to educate the able-bodied audience or something.
1: Yep. I I don't think it really intends to be that entirely. Like I do think I do think he tries to write for Wheelies, but I like Ryan the character. I don't think he's actually spent enough time in that world to really write for us
0: right yeah he's not he's not very disabled
1: sorry dude
0: and not that it's like oppression olympics yeah but just by virtue of his ability levels he's not as far down the disabled rabbit hole as you and i or so many other disabled people and again his experiences are completely valid but I just, I didn't feel like he was seeing me when he was writing jokes that I think were aimed to me.
1: Exactly. Um, the fights with Tanner uh, in episode seven, they were very well acted.
0: Yeah. By both of them.
1: Yeah. It's the one or two scenes throughout the series where I actually think Ryan brought is A-game. A yeah. Because there's a point where he actually laughs mockingly at Tanner yeah. bragging about being a successful dancer. It's cold. It it's cold, but it lands wonderfully. Yeah. He and I think the two of them had such a good chemistry that they brought they they elevated each other in the realm of acting. Yeah. Those scenes were great. And the sense of loss that you feel when it doesn't work out for them is there. They yeah. they actually did earn that very well. Yeah. But I'm still I still am not sort of convinced that they weren't meant for each other or that those those issues that they encountered were not or were insurmountable. Yeah. I I again sort of think that the show dismissed Tanner unfairly.
0: I th- I think though in the defense of the show mm-hmm. the right or Tanner's flaws in those moments maybe were insurmountable for where Ryan was at on his personal journey in those moments. Like, again, you and I are at a different point in our disability experience. So maybe it's easier for us to empathize with a person who doesn't understand ableism. But Ryan, in this show, in this moment, was sort of just coming to the realization that ableism was a real issue that he was struggling with internally. Mm -hmm. So for Tanner to also be a little ignorant to it was enough for him to be like, I need to pump the brakes on this because I'm not even fully aware of this on my own. Yep. So I don't think I can be in a relationship with someone who isn't either.
1: That uh, is a valid position that the show takes. It's just that it's kind of muddled because, because you end up liking Tanner more than the show intends. Maybe. The other thing is that it the show kind of uh, is trying to lead us to the idea that Ryan is more romantically suited to another disabled or neurodivergent person. Uh, but the, the show doesn't actually bother to explore the potential uh, disabled relationship that Ryan could have. And I think it's positioned as like, well, Ryan realizes that maybe romance is too much of a distraction right now while he's trying to grow so he'll explore that later but then it sort of feels like a cop-out in season three if there was one he would definitely be dating another wheelie and that would come with it a whole new array of really interesting challenges i think yeah that
0: would be really interesting to watch Uh, especially if it was someone more disabled than him instead of less yeah yeah because so far, he's only dated people less disabled than him. And he's always been the person teaching people about disability or ableism, et cetera. So it would be really cool if in the next season that there isn't going to be, unfortunately. But if in this imaginary third season, he was dating someone in a wheelchair or more disabled than him, who could then hold a really candid full-length mirror to Ryan's ableism and just teach him, you think you're so disabled, but check this out.
1: Sometimes you need disabled friends to to remind you that you have a disability and that's okay.
0: Exactly.
1: Because the able-bodied world is always saying that you you can not think about it. There's always a pressure not to factor it into the discussion.
0: Which is outrageous, especially when you're literally in a wheelchair, like you, you can't pretend to not be disabled.
1: Right, exactly.
0: I agree. I definitely think that you can go too far the other way where it can define you and consume you. And that's also unhealthy. You should. And that's a criticism that we had of this season or of this show, really, was that Ryan was sort of defined by his disability and it was all-consuming in his mental, emotional, personal journey, but at the expense of any other real character traits to speak of.
1: Yeah, it substituted disabi- uh, like personality for disability. Yeah, which is a huge mistake. Right, huge. Like, why were those two two crip's that were actually given dialogue and screen time? Why did they have more of an evident personality than Ryan ever did?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And you could argue that Ryan didn't have as much of a personality because he was too much entangled with the life with the life of his mother and therefore never really autonomous enough to develop a personality independent of that codependency. But by the end of the series, when they are in fact decoupled literally and figuratively, he should have a personality now, or he should know what that is or outwardly project it a little bit more. And we should be happy for him. <laughs> the show summarizes his progress in this like funny little bit of slapstick where just like the opening of the series, a car nearly runs into him. Yeah. And this time, instead of getting hit, he uniquely swerves out of the way. So what what is that trying to say? That his interpersonal emotional growth actually made him slightly more able-bodied?
0: Yeah, like that's a
1: little goofy. now that he
0: understands inspiration porn and ableism, he's able to avoid a moving supra.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It was that was kind of cheesy.
0: Yeah, it was cheesy, but I guess it was like it it was on brand for the rest of the show. Like it didn't feel out of place. The whole show was sort of glossy and
1: not overly deep. It wasn't as deep as um the subject matter sort of necessitated. Yeah. like Which I think is what we were
0: really struggling with the whole time.
1: Yep. I was just thinking, I wish there was a disabled auteur director. And then I was trying to come up with a pun on Stanley Kubrick. That was like wheelchair or like disability flavor, but I couldn't figure it out. Do you got anything? Um, Stanley Kubrick. (laughs) That's dumb. Uh, Yeah. Christopher Rowland. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Uh, Martin. Oh, my God. I'm really bad at this.
0: Yeah, I'm off my game. I didn't sleep very well last night.
1: You've been pretty engaged throughout this discussion. I felt that you were present and I enjoyed it.
0: This was a great discussion. Um, Again, I don't think we have time for a wheel breaker without running up the clock too far. Okay, let's wrap it up. Closing thoughts on special since it is the last season. I think that ultimately the fact that we put two episodes into this season, the fact that we were sort of left wanting speaks positively to the show. Because the fact that there is a show that leaves us wanting so much out of it means that we're headed in a good direction.
1: It's definitely new ground. Right. Yep.
0: The fact that such a show even exists is amazing for the disability community. No matter who you are in the disabled community, the show does have something for you. And the fact that we were maybe in parts overly critical of it, I think just goes to show you know, when like you meet someone and you really start to like them. And then they do one little thing that kind of ticks you off. And you're just like, oh, I wish you didn't do that thing. But usually it wouldn't even bother you. But it's just because you like them so much and you want them to be like the perfect one for you. Yeah. It's, It's almost that feeling where it's like, we wouldn't be so critical if we didn't care. And we didn't think that this was like an important part of disability media.
1: I think this show, more than anything else that we've watched, provokes us. Yeah, it's so close. Well, like we feel maybe somewhat challenged or affronted by Ryan's qualifications as an author, and that very feeling is a problem. Like for us, not him.
0: Right. It's it's like hard to see someone that isn't you speaking for you. Yeah. When you've been wanting to get your voice heard for so long.
1: Yep so our uh, frustration discomfort our our anger in some instances is a compliment yeah and maybe maybe that's a cop-out to some extent but if you think it is please engage us and let us know where we went wrong give us things to think about someone recently made a few really um perceptive observations about the shape of water and one particular scene that I completely neglected to cover because I was, I basically, I don't think it really aligned with the, the reception that I was trying to portray. In any case, I I'm, I'm grateful for those, for those engagements. So please continue them. Yeah. If, if you have one.
0: Yeah. We both love looking at the Instagram comments and the uh, messages and stuff. I think it's important for us to say Neither one of us, I I don't want to speak for Jamie, but I know he would agree. Neither one of us is convicted in all of our opinions. We want to learn and change and grow with new information. And so the first time we watch a show is usually what you're hearing. That's our first take. But that doesn't mean that we don't want you to challenge us. This should be as much for you to hear it and learn a new perspective as it is for you to share your perspectives with us so that we can grow yep and with that
1: cp strikes again i really hope we don't overuse that quote
0: i'm going to (laughs) i'm telling you now
1: okay well thank you for at least warning me you're welcome bye tony bye jamie